I've got a quick question for you before we get started tonight. Um, how many of you grew up in a Baptist church? Raise your hand. That's what I figured. Okay. Uh, now, now that's not to that's not to cast judgment upon any of you who uh, did not grow up in the Baptist church. But if you know, the problem is sometimes if you grow up in a Baptist church, um, you just kind of forget what it is that makes a Baptist church distinctive from other denominations and other groups. And so, um, the reason why I bring that up is uh, for for many people who come in as as a as a guest to our church. So often they'll come from a different denomination. They might be Presbyterian, might be Methodist, might be part of a non-denominational church. And uh, and one of the questions that we'll get so often is, um, well, what do you believe? You know, do you have a creed? And uh, as as Ray Engel, I'm sure would likely tell you, Baptists don't have creeds, do we, Ray? Not amen. I knew, I knew I'd get that response out of you. Our only creed is scripture, so we say. Um, but we do have the Baptist faith and message, uh, which we believe is an accurate summary of what we teach and what we hold um, of our basic doctrines. As Baptists, for instance, we believe in the authority, the in, inspiration, and in the inerrancy of scripture. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 tells us that all scripture is God-breathed. And in that, we believe that God inspired these words and that these words are perfect and that these words are all we need to know what God wants us to know about how to follow Him. That this is all we need. We don't need another book. We don't need another set of inspiration. We don't need another set of revelation. All we need is the Word of God. As Baptists, we believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, we believe that God has eternally existed as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God revealed in three persons. And specifically in that, we believe that Jesus is eternally the Son of God and that He is the sinless Savior of the world. Amen? Amen. We also, as Baptists, believe in the fallenness of man. We believe that every single person has sinned and therefore is separated from God because of that sin. Uh, that there is no one who is outside of the condemnation of sin. Uh, that as Romans 3.23 tells us, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We believe as Baptists that salvation comes only by grace through faith in the work of the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, and what He did by living a perfect life, by dying His death on the cross, and by rising after three days to prove that He was and is the Son of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that God has created us for good works, and so we're not saved by works, but we are saved for good works. And we also, as Baptists, believe that Christ will one day come again, that we are looking forward to His return. And when He comes, He's going to judge the world, and that those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will spend eternity with Him in heaven and on a new heaven and a new earth. But those who have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who have never turned to the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sin, will be cast into hell for eternity. Um, now, now, that is what we would probably call the most basic, the most um, uh, core beliefs of us as Baptists. And we could spend a lot of time talking about those tonight and talking about those um, over the next several weeks. And in fact, we did, um, you know, we did a study through this a while back where we looked at those, those doctrines and why we must hold to those things, why we cannot turn loose of any of those beliefs, because they are foundational for what we believe as Baptists. Uh, in a new members class, we could talk a lot about what makes us distinctive as Baptists. We could talk about those things that, that set us apart from other Bible-believing churches, 
um, other groups like Presbyterians who we believe are Christians, um, but we worship differently than they do. We, we do church differently than they do. Um, our churches are governed differently than theirs are. But tonight, what I really want us to focus on um, is I want us to look at, at five things, really. I want us to look at what God commands for all believers and how that ties into church membership. I want us to, to see that there are some things, there's a, there's a lot of things that God commands for all believers, but I want us to look at five specifically um, that tie directly to the ministry of the church, uh, that to help us to understand why church is so important for us and why being a part of a church, why being a member of a church is vitally important for us in our walk of faith. And so the first point I want to make this morning, or this morning, that's not this morning, what am I talking about? On the way in this, this, this afternoon, someone said, good morning, Brother Jeff, and then they immediately corrected themselves, and I guess I need to learn that it's not long, no longer morning. But the first thing I want to say tonight is that God has commanded for all believers to be actively involved with a body of believers called a church. Hebrews chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, open there. We're going to be a little bit everywhere tonight. That's just kind of the nature of a membership class is... Uh, we're going to have to look at several different passages, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be on the screen, but it's always good to turn in your Bible. Verse 24 is not on the screen. I forgot to put that one on there. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the writer of Hebrews is, is pretty clear here. He is calling us, God is calling us through this, this author, um, to commit ourselves as Christians to gather together as the body of Christ, as the body of believers. Um, now, you might ask, why is that such a big deal? Why is it that we need to um, and we see there in that verse that there's a, there's a mention there of encouragement, that we need one another. That, that, and, and I believe if we, if we really drilled down deep, what we would find is that it is impossible to truly, genuinely live out our faith the way God wants us to as individuals without the body of Christ. It does not work. Now, now some people, I, I, think, I, I think that in our day and age in 2019, um, in my experience in ministry, and I know it's not been that long. I've been in the ministry since 2003, uh, so 16 years. And I know there's, there's many who have been in it much longer than I have. Bart's been in it since 1945, right? Uh, something like that. But, um, so Bart could definitely attest to this. I know Gary could attest to this. And many of you would know that, that there seems to be a, 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 a lack of interest in church membership over the years. Uh, that it seems like there is, there is less of a tendency for people to actually join the church. Instead, people just kind of attend church. They come to church and they never really walk the aisle. They don't really see the point. Uh, they, don't, they don't see the reason, why do I need to come down an aisle? Why do I need to actually join the church? And some of that, I think, is, is a lack of commitment by individuals. I think for some people who don't want to join the church, it's because they don't want requirements. They don't want demands placed upon them. They don't want to be asked to do things. I think part of the reason why we see this um, decline in church membership is simply because we've adopted a consumer mindset in the church. Uh, that I think in our consumer culture, uh, that for so many, they've begun to see the church as a product to be consumed rather than a body that we belong to. And that's a problem. That's a problem. The point of the church is not 
so that you can get something like you're, like I go to McDonald's to get a meal. I go to Walmart to buy some clothes. I come to church to get a spiritual nourishment. No, the, the body of Christ is a body. You know, some might look at this and say, well, nowhere in the New Testament does it ever talk about church membership. And you would be right to an extent. Nowhere in the New Testament does it ever use the word membership in relation to the church. I read an article the other day. Um, it was interesting that this came, that we're getting ready to do this class. And just last week, uh, J.D. Greer, who's the president of our convention, wrote an article on the importance of church membership. And he talked about this. And he, and he talked about how that even though you cannot find the word, you find the concept of church membership all over the New Testament. Like these are some examples he gave. He talked about how, for instance, in Acts chapter 6, it talks about how the church had an election. And if you have an election, you have to have a requirement for who is in and who is out, correct? Just like in the United States, you're a citizen, you get to vote. That's how it ought to be, right? Um, but if you're not a citizen, you don't, you don't get to vote because there's an in and there's an out. And so in Acts chapter 6, you see that the church elected. There was an election there. And, and so there had to be a, a requirement of who could then vote. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul argues that someone needs to be removed from the body, from the fellowship. And for someone to be removed, there had to be a sense in which they belonged before they could be removed. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 3 through 16, Paul talks to Timothy on how to handle widows, how to properly minister to widows in the church, which would imply they had to have an organization in which they knew who the widows of the church were. They had to know who was included in that. There was some kind of a... A, a record of who were the widows that were, the church was responsible for. We could find other commands in, throughout the New Testament in which they address dealing with sin in the church, which once again would require, would imply a responsibility to one another, a, 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 a belonging. And so I believe that church membership is vital. I believe that it's, it's vitally important to our church, to the health of our church. We need membership because we need the church, because we need the opportunity to worship. We need the opportunity to praise with fellow believers. We need the community. We need the fellowship. We need the wisdom. Uh, we need the, the commitment of believers locking arm, walking arm in arm, side by side, doing the work of the ministry. Think about it this way. Would you ever consider taking a newborn baby uh, who has just been born, putting it out in its, on its own to fend for itself? And saying to that newborn baby, you got to find your own food. you got to take care of your own self. You don't need anybody else. You can handle this life on your own. Would you ever do that? You would call that what? Child abuse, right? You would call that neglect. Um, you know, I, I read a study. I, I, it's been a while, but I, there, was a, there was a research study. I think, I think it was in Russia. I'm not certain, but, but it was years and years ago in which they took these babies that were born and they placed them in this orphanage and they gave them no care, no, no, no hugs, no cuddling or anything. And they, all they did was provide these children with food and, and things like that. Um, and they didn't actually care for them. And, and, and strangely enough, even though these babies had all that they physically would need to survive, they didn't. Because they needed something more than just food and water. They needed care. They needed nourishment. They needed relationship. They needed, they needed love. You know, in the same way, as a Christian, we cannot, I believe, and will not grow and mature, mature in our faith the way that we ought to without the community of the church, 
without the fellowship of believers, especially the fellowship and guidance of older, more mature believers around us who can give us wisdom along the way. You know, I talked a few weeks ago about the fact that we all need a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas in our lives. You remember that? And we talked about how you need that believer who is farther down the path than you in your life. And that's where I believe church membership, the fact that we belong together, it provides us with those individuals, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible compares Paul and 1 Corinthians 12 compares the body of Christ to a physical human body. You've probably read that section of Scripture. It's a great passage. I would suggest you read it tonight. Um, and he talks about how every single part of the body fits perfectly, right? He, he talks about how um, every single part of the body has a role to play. Um, and he goes on and he makes the illustration that, that everything is necessary. A, a foot can't say it's not important because it's not an eye and so on and so forth. Um, and, and, a, and a foot couldn't survive on its own. Uh, and so to be a Christian without actively being a part of the body is to be like a body part that's been amputated and laying by itself. It will not survive. It will not grow. It will not do what it ought to do. It will not last long. The body needs the parts of the body. And without that, it's not just that the individual Christian suffers in that, but I believe the body of Christ suffers as well. You know, if, if you happen to know someone who is an amputee, you would know that, that because they lose some part of their body, um, their body suffers. If for some reason something happened to you and you lost your leg from the knee down, you might say, oh, that's just a small section of my body, but your life would be hampered by that, would it not? You would struggle to walk. They can, they can, make, you know, they can make prosthetic limbs and everything, but those prosthetic limbs will never work quite like the real thing would work. Right, And so it is true in the church that when there is a part of the body that is not, miss, that is not there, when there is a part of the body that's not functioning like it should, it's not just the individual that suffers, but it's the church that suffers. And so first off, God has called us to be actively involved in the body of Christ for our own spiritual health and also for our own responsibility, our responsibility to one another. But that leads us to something else that I feel like we need, I need to mention at this point, and that's, that's, you know, what's required for membership? I get this question when someone wants to come join the church. They'll ask me, like, what, what do y'all, do I have to, like, um, memorize a saying or something like that? Or do I have to, uh, um, you know, give the oath or, or, you know, something like that? But, you know, we, we at First Baptist Fisherville, we believe that anybody can come and worship with us. We, we would not tell, there would, there would never be an instance, I feel like, um, where I would say to someone, hey, you're not allowed to come into our church and worship. Um, but when it comes to membership, that's a different story. Um, that it, it, At this church, you know, there are basically two requirements that we hold to for someone to become a member of First Baptist Fisherville. And the first one is simply that, that a person must have come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That they have put their faith and trust in saying that they are trusting in the Lord Jesus for their salvation. No one can become a member of this church without... A, doing that. And B, they must be obedient in believer's baptism. That they must go through the waters of baptism, um, whether it be baptized by this church or baptized by another Bible-believing church that practices baptism by immersion in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so let's just stop for just a second and talk about baptism. Why is that so important? You know, obviously... Um, you know, it's, it's probably the most identifiable thing about a Baptist church because obviously it's on our sign. We are the first Baptist church of Fisherville. 
Um, but our Baptist faith and message, I think, gives the best statement of why it's so important. I think it's going to be on the screen. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior, the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and of the Lord's Supper. We believe that baptism is Baptists. Uh, we believe that baptism is for professing believers only. I think that's the, the first and most important thing. We, we believe that, that before baptism, a person must come to an independent, conscious decision of putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is, that is the first step. Um, they must trust that Jesus lived a sinless life died on the cross a sinner's death, and arose from the grave. And that's, <clears throat> that's why, as a church, we do not baptize infants. Um, you know, some of you may have grown up in, in denominations and churches where they did baptize infants, and we do not, uh, because we believe that baptism is believer's baptism, is an act for someone who has placed their faith in Christ. And so anytime someone comes down the aisle and asks to be baptized in this church, um, one of our ministers, whether it's me or Brother Gary or Brother John or Blake, would meet with that individual and we pray with them and we talk with them and we interview them and make sure that before we take them through those waters of baptism um, that the Lord has given us an assurance that they genuinely are saved. And so we believe baptism is for professing believers only. We believe, secondly, it's by immersion only. Uh, we do not, as a church, recognize baptism by sprinkling, and that's not just because we're being nitpicky. Um, that's not just because we are um, trying to be overly particular, but it's because of several reasons, number one of which it's the most common basic definition of the word baptize, is to immerse, to dunk in water. Um, you know, when we looked at the, old, at, the, at the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, for instance, and it talked about the baptism of the new believers, you know what they did? They immersed them in water. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus, you know what he did? He immersed him in water. It was not a sprinkling. It was a dunk. Um, and, and so we believe that, that the baptism, the baptism by immersion is the best picture of a new believer's identification with Christ, that we are identifying with him and with the early church, not only in the act of baptism, but in the way that we baptize and that it's also a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's why every time we baptize someone, you might remember what, every, what most Baptist preachers will say, to be buried with him in baptism and, to, and risen to walk in newness of life. Because that very act of baptism is a symbol of the old life dying and a person rising to walk in a new life with Christ. And then also we believe that, that baptism must be done in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit because Jesus himself commanded that in Acts chapter, uh, I mean in Matthew chapter 28. But also, lastly, on baptism, we believe that it's an act of obedience, but that it's not necessary for salvation. And that's an important point because some people might think that uh, because we're a Baptist church, it means that's the way that you're saved is that you're baptized, but that's not the case. Um, we believe that baptism ought to be the desire of every believer that for a person to come to Christ. They ought to want to then be baptized because that's what's commanded in the New Testament. Um, but we also clarify by saying that baptism is simply a symbol. 
It's an outward expression of an inward change. It is not the act that saves you. It is simply a representation of what has taken place in your heart. And on top of that, is it, it, is a, it is a way of testifying to the world, to the church and also to the world, that you are placing your faith in Christ alone. Not in, in your own works, not in any, anything else, but simply that you're placing your faith in Christ. You are identifying with Jesus Christ. Um, I think in, in our country, because of the fact that we have religious freedom, um, we, we don't get the significance of that act. You know, if you lived in a country overseas, in let's say somewhere in the Middle East where Christians are heavily persecuted, the very act of baptism by immersion is more than just something you do casually on a Sunday morning. It's an act that risks your life. You know, I've heard and read stories of, of believers, new believers who were baptized, and not long after their baptism, they were heavily persecuted, and some were even killed, because by being baptized, they identified themselves with Christianity, and that it marked them for persecution in their cultures. But we hold that, that as a believer, you ought to want to be baptized. You ought to want to follow that command that just as Christ commanded us to be baptized, make disciples, baptize them, in Matthew 28 he says, that we ought to want to fall through in baptism. Third point I want to make this tonight about what is important for every believer is the Lord's Supper. Um, Baptist Faith and Message says this. It says, The Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience, whereby members of the church through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate His second coming. Now, we believe that the Lord's Supper, once again, is not an act of salvation. It is an act of remembrance. It's a symbolic time in which we reflect on the work that Christ has done in us. Um, and as a church, um, just so you know, if you haven't heard us say this before, as a church, we open up the Lord's Supper to any baptized believer who is with us. You don't necessarily have to be a member of our church to take the Lord's Supper with us. But we do always ask that only those who are professing believers who have also been through believers' baptism participate in that. Fourth thing we would say to, that I want to say tonight is what's commanded for every believer comes from Matthew 28. Let's go there. Fourth command that I think we need to focus on that ties us back to the life of the church and why church is so important church membership is so important, is the command of evangelism. I believe it's the responsibility of each and every Christian, every believer, um, to share the gospel. And for the responsibility of every church member to join in the work of pointing people to Christ. Matthew 28. Let's actually, it's, it's going to be 18 up there, but let's back up to verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Now, as you can see, this is the, uh, one of the last commands of Jesus before he ascended uh, to heaven. And he gives us quite a bit there. He tells us there to go forth, uh, that we are called um, to be the light of the world, to be the salt of the earth, as, as we read in Matthew chapter 5. 
uh, to be witnesses everywhere we go. That you know, you've probably heard before that that a a good translation there is as as you are going, make disciples. That this ought to be a part of our regular pattern, our everyday life, to seek to make disciples. Uh, now we also need to understand. We'll remind you of what Gary said this morning. Making disciples is more than just evangelizing someone. It's more than just sharing Christ with someone. Um, the act of making a disciple is a is a never-ending process. Really, a person is not really truly a, a a fully genuinely formed disciple until the day they actually see Jesus, the day that they go home to be with the Lord, and that until then it is a constant process. Um, a, a lifelong process that begins with the act of evangelism, begins with that act of sharing the good news of Jesus. It talks about here, Jesus said, and, and we ought to baptize them. Baptism, I believe here, um, is also representative of, of, that, that, of, what's, of that connection to the life of the church. Once again, like we talked about earlier, we, we emphasize baptism because it's, it is that doorway by which a lost person, they come to Christ and then they come to, into the membership of the church through the act of baptism. And he said there that we ought to teach them all that Christ commanded us. Uh, to make a disciple, to, to be a disciple who is mature requires that we, we not only learn the teaching of Scripture, but we also learn to apply those teachings to our everyday lives. But most importantly, what I, what I want us to see here is that this is not the responsibility of one person or two people or even just the 11. There are those and there are, there are many throughout church history who have believed that the only ones who were responsible for the Great Commission were the 11 that were there. But I don't believe that to be true. I believe that when Jesus was talking to 11, that those 11 represented all of us as his disciples. It's just as those were his disciples, we are his disciples, and that, that command falls on us as well. Um, and that we are called as a church to be a people who are about the work of evangelism. And that that has to be our heartbeat as a church. That has to be part of our pulse, part of our, our, our DNA uh, that we are constantly seeking to, to point people to Jesus. Uh, that we're never content with where our world is, but that we're constantly pressing on in the work of Christ and wanting to see more people come to Christ that we constantly want to see our friends, our family, our co-workers, our neighbors come to the Lord. That has to be a heartbeat. And then fifth and finally, what I want to say tonight, and then we're going to wrap up, is that, that the life that what the Bible commands for all believers, and I think this ties right to the church, is discipleship. That as a church, uh, we have to be committed to discipleship, and we will always be committed to discipleship here at Fisherville. Um, a relationship with Christ is not just about walking down an aisle, getting baptized, and then we're done. That's, that's not it. Um, it's about a, re a relationship that requires time and attention. That just like, for instance, if you were married, just like in your marriage relationship, um, it wasn't just, the goal was not just to put a ring on her finger and get her to stand in front of her preacher and say, I do. The goal of that relationship is to continue to grow in the relationship, right? That if, that if, if, if the work of marriage stopped at the altar the marriage would not last long. But instead, the marriage grows deeper as the couple works to grow in their walk together. And the same is true in our walk with Christ. The goal is not simply to walk an aisle and to be dunked, but it's to grow daily in our walk with Christ. And the good thing is that God desires to develop a personal relationship with us. And that relation, a relationship that would grow 
And so as a church, you, you, can, almost, you can always, you know, trust that, that we will always work to provide multiple, multiple ways for you to grow in discipleship as a church. Something I'm excited about that we're going to be doing, um, which I, I mentioned this morning, but I'll mention it again. Uh, we're going to be doing another Bible reading plan together as a church uh, that will begin in September. Um, when we finished that New Testament challenge last year, uh, it wasn't no sooner than the day after we got done that, that people started asking me over and over again, when are we going to do another Bible reading challenge? When are we going to do another one? And I began to pray, okay, how are we going to do this? Uh, because I really wanted us to do an entire Bible, like one that would go through the majority of Scripture rather than just a part of it again. And so um, we're going to be doing what's called the Foundations 260. I didn't come up with it. it it's a guy named Robbie Gallaty, who's a pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church up near Nashville. Um, and so we're going to be beginning that. And I believe that's part of discipleship, is being in the Word of God. Part of discipleship is praying together, is being committed to go to the Lord together. Part of the discipleship is the fellowship that we find. You know, Sunday mornings we have Sunday school, and, uh, and, and a big part of Sunday school is teaching the Word of God. But I would say that, that also a big part of Sunday school, if, if teaching the Word of God is one, I would say one B is the community that we have in Sunday school. The, the reality is in a church of 350, 400 people who, average, who typically attend our church, um, there's no way that you can really know everybody. Um, I'm going to go ahead and confess, as your pastor, I don't know all of you as, as well as I wish I could. And the reality is there's no way I can because there's 400 of you and there's one of me. And I've done the math and it doesn't work out real well. <laughs> and so I can't. Um, and so as a church grows larger, we must also at the same time grow smaller. Now, that doesn't mean that we run people out the back door as new ones come in. And what that means is that, is that the fellowship and the community of the church is in the Sunday school class. And, and many of you are shaking your heads, and I know you're shaking your heads like this because you're in one, and you're committed to one, and you see the life change that happens. You see the care that takes place in Sunday school. The ministry of the church, I believe, the heartbeat of the church, I believe, happens at 9.45 on Sunday morning. We come in here to praise the Lord at 8.30 and 11. But the heartbeat of the church, I really believe, happens right there in between at 9.45 in the morning. And so I would encourage you, if you're not, I don't know if, if all of you attend a Sunday school class. I look across the room and I, and I see the majority of you, I believe, do. But if, if you don't, I would encourage you to, uh, uh, to get in one. Uh, because I, I believe it's, it's um, especially as a church member, and we'll go into this more in detail next week as a church member, um, it's vitally important that we, uh, that we are not only a part of the worship of, of God in the church, but we are also part of the community of God through a Sunday school class. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, when we pray, we're, we're, gonna be dis we're not going to do an invitation tonight, um, but I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and then we will be dismissed. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Uh, next week, we're going to be getting into specifically um, what are the responsibilities of a church member. Uh, I feel like I needed to lay the groundwork with this this week, but next week we're going to be talking about um, what, as, as I, for me as a church member, what must I do in order for the church to continue to be healthy? You know, membership is as much a responsibility for the member as it is for the church. And so I want us to talk about that next week and see um, how it is we can not only be a faithful church, but how we can be faithful church members. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this church, and I pray that 
um, that as we go through these things and talk about membership, that, uh, um, that we as a church would recommit ourselves uh, to the covenant, to the commitment that we make uh, when we join to be a part of a church, that we would see ourselves um, as part of a body, and that for the body to be healthy, um, the individual members of that body must do what they're called to do and be who they're called to be. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you all for being here.